everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. So today is a a bit of an introduction into where we're going over the next few weeks. And so today is about, also it's about sort of giving some application to a teaching that I gave just a, uh, just a few weeks ago. For me, uh, it was one of the most challenging teachings that I gave about the uh, millennial kingdom. And so just teaching about the, the millennial kingdom was a lot of information. It was a lot of information to process, but and information is good. And then at the end, at the very end, which was, I didn't have a whole lot of time because I was already way over my time. I tried to give some application. And so for, for a pre application is, I think, the most important thing. Application to, to give to you is, is, is me doing my job. Information is helpful, uh, and there's other platforms and places that you can go and get information from, but my job is to give application. So today is some application to um, information that, that, you, that you got about, you know, the millennial kingdom and, and uh, you know, the beginning of our eternal state and, and a, a, you know, the beginning of a new heaven and a new earth and the second coming of Jesus and all of that stuff that uh, was a lot of information. So, um, so that's what today is. Today is sort of a, um, an introduction into where we're going and also sort of a conclusion to where we came from. Uh, does that sort of make sense? So we're going to use this weekend as sort of that, fill that sort of that gap uh, in between there. So um, this, these are some things that I'm not proud of. And so I share these things because it's not something that I, you know, uh, that I want to high five you later about. Um, but this is, these are things that are just my past and where I've come from. So um, you, you may or may not be surprised to know um, that I I owned, um, when I was, you know, my later years in, in high school, that I owned a couple fake IDs. Does that, does that surprise anybody? Okay, all right. So I had a couple, you know, and so this was the time when it was really easy to make fake IDs. You could take your driver's license and you could make some, make some alterations to it and some adjustments to it. So uh, I, that's not, you know, a younger version of me, but that's sort of similar to some sort of fake ID that, that I had, you know, just uh, somebody else's ID uh, that, you know, that was able to, and, 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 and as you probably already know, what a, you know a fake ID it's it's you are um, presenting right some identification uh, that isn't you but you say is you right anybody does anybody want to own the fact that you had a fake ID do it so I don't have to feel alone okay all right good all right all right all right did you have my ID as your fake ID was Okay, because I think I had Eric's one time as a fake ID. My older brother, as, is this true? I, I'm trying to remember. I was meant to, he, he's like, I don't remember. I, I, I probably stole it from him. He didn't even know. Okay, so we all, it's, it's you, you know, you present, you, you present, you know, an, an identification that isn't you, but you say it's you, you know, so that you can move into a place or go into a place that you have no business being, right? You have no business being there or, or and, and again, don't jump to conclusions because the reason I had fake IDs is so I could just vote early. Yeah. I just wanted to vote earlier. Yeah, I mean, no, you don't buy it, do you? Okay, all right. So, or <laughs> it's so it's getting you into a place that you have no business being in, right? And you're not you're not of age to get into, or purchasing things that you have no business purchasing, right? And like I remember just presenting, you know, my fake ID on occasion to some people, irresponsible store clerk people, looking at it, going. And at one time, one of the store clerks just chuckled. He just chuckled, and he's like, all right, all right here you go. He let me to purchase what I, what I was looking to purchase at, at the time. So it's not even really that they buy it. It's just as if you can just get away with it, right? Uh, but you just, you, you give this, this false, you know, this false assumption, this false identity of who you are, but yeah, that's not who you are 
at all, at all, at all. And so oftentimes we can be that way when it comes to our faith or when it comes to, you know, how we want to present ourselves, you know, to each other, you know, in, in culture, in life, as we do go about life, we, we present ourselves not necessarily in the realness or the trueness of, of who we are and who we are. And so oftentimes we put on, you know, what isn't true about us or we put on a, a facade about us. And, and the heart of it, really the heart of it is this. And I, I, you know, again, not to spend a ton of time getting into the psychological, you know, analysis of, of all of this, but really the, the heart of this is that when we try to put on a fake or put on a facade or pretend that we're something that we're not, is that we, is it really, we start to subconsciously ask the questions like, do I belong? Am I accepted? And do I matter? Do I belong? Am I accepted? And do I matter? And this is really at the heart of why we do the things that we do when it comes to pretending or putting on a facade of that we are presenting ourselves as someone that in reality that we are not. And so we, we, we do that because we worry about something. We worry about that what if I... What if I actually show up authentic, genuine, and honest? What would they say? What would they think? How would they perceive me? How would I be treated? What if, what if I actually showed up to something, to someone, to you know, some environment where I actually was authentic and genuine and honest, and how would they feel? And so, listen, here's the, here's the bottom line. The church, the church should be, ought to be, is meant to be the most authentic, genuine, and honest community that you can find. Can I get an amen? amen. That, the church was designed to be that way. You're, you're meant to show up and be genuine, authentic, honest and true. And oftentimes the church, because of the reputation of the church, really the reputation of a Christian, not necessarily the reputation of Jesus. Let's just make sure that we get that right. Not the reputation of Jesus, but the reputation of a Christian is that if I don't show up, you know, and put on a front and try to present a fake identification, you know, to the community that I'm in or to to the people that I go and worship with, I don't know how they're going to think about me. I don't know how they're going to treat me. And I, I just don't feel like I can be authentic. I don't feel like I can be genuine. And I don't feel like I can be honest. And this is a sad commentary on Christianity. This is a sad commentary on the church. Because here's Jumping ahead just slightly, he, Jesus died for the real you. The, Jesus died for the real you. And real me, real me, say that with me, real me, makes for a better we. Makes for a better we. Real me makes for a better we, that's, that's, the, that's where we're going here, okay? So we're gonna pick it up in Hebrews 10, 19, okay? And again, this is an introduction. And at the very end, I'm gonna sort of lead us into where we're going for the next few weeks. So this is an introduction, but this is also gonna be an application to some of the things that we talked about prior to, weeks prior, okay? All right, so here it is. Therefore, okay? So and anytime you see the word therefore, um, the, the writer of Hebrews, we don't know exactly who, who this is, who the writer of Hebrews is, but he's, he, he or she is indicating that um, I just communicated something that you needed to know, and now this is how I want you to apply this, or this is, this is how I want you to think about this. So, so we're going to just pick it up in verse 19. He says, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us or made a way for us through the veil, that is through his flesh. Now, so quickly, 
This is a Hebrew writer addressing Jews who are now Jesus followers. Hebrew writer who's addressing Jews who are now Jesus followers. And they're now having to rethink some things about what they've learned and understood about God and about their faith for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. And so they're having to start to rethink some things. And so what the Hebrew writer is telling them is this. Hebrew writer is saying, you know how when um, the high priest would go into the holies of holies? So a high priest would go into the holies of holies and he would, the, the high priest one time a year is called the day of atonement, would go into the holies of holies within the, 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 the tabernacle or the, or the temple. And one time a year they would enter in the holies of holies and they would present an offering, a sin offering, offering, an atonement offering for the sins of all the people. But only one person, only one person, the high priest, could enter into the holies of holies. It was a dangerous mission. It was a dangerous mission. Uh, some say, uh, you know, we don't necessarily see this in, in scripture, uh, but, but we can, you can sort of re read into this in, in historical, you know, uh, you know, fact that high priests had to be tied with a rope. There was a, a rope tied around their, their leg because if they went in and there, and there had any impurities in their life and anything that was, you know, getting in the way of, of uh, presenting this atonement for the people, that, they, that God would strike them dead right on the spot. And so nobody could enter in. And so if the high priest died, the people outside of the holies of holies behind the curtain or behind the veil would have to pull the high priest out his dead body out behind the, because if you entered in and you weren't a high priest, you weren't allowed to get in. Hebrew writer is saying, listen, there is now a brand new covenant. There's a brand new covenant that every single person who puts their faith in the work of Jesus in the shed blood of Jesus and the work that he did for us on the cross is now has access to the holies of holies can now access and now go into a place that really we have no business going into. We have no business entering into. We don't deserve it. We didn't earn it. But Jesus said, I'm going to do the work for you on the cross. And I'm going to shed my blood so that you can enter into a place that you have no business being in. Well, you say, what is that place? It's called the very presence of God, the very presence of God that we can enter into that place. And that's a new covenant, a new covenant. So quickly, new covenant. New covenant is a brand new promise, okay? It's not an extension of the old covenant. So your Bible, you have like what's called the Old Testament or another word for it, old covenant. And then you have the New Testament, in your Bible, which is the new covenant, the new covenant. So each are different. They're unique in, the, in a way. The Old Testament is, a, is the Hebrew Bible. It's the Hebrew Bible, and it's for the Hebrew people. It's for a nation, one nation. It's, the, it's written for them, for God's people, the nation of Israel, written for them. The new covenant or our New Testament, what we read starting in Matthew, ending in Revelation, is our new covenant that is for all nations, all people, all people who put their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. The new covenant is not an extension of the old covenant. The new covenant are brand new promises that we can find in the finished work of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus. We good? Yeah. So there's a brand new covenant. He's saying, listen, the part of the brand new covenant is that you are and I am invited in to the presence of God that we are invited into. So it's not just one high priest, one time a year. It's for all people who put their faith in the work and the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. You're invited to come in and, and experience and to see and to know the very person and presence of God. Amen? Amen. That's our new covenant. So here's, let me show you what, what that looks like. So 
Remember, therefore, right? We picked, looked at verse 19, therefore. But he, so we're going to go back. We're going to go back. But he, having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. Okay? But he, Jesus, offered one sacrifice. So it's, this is no longer, you know, writ, again, remember, written to the Jewish, Jewish people. Okay? They, they would have to come in and they would have to bring in their, their animal for a sacrifice. Okay? And they had, to, they had to do it multiple times, multiple times, multiple times. But the Hebrew writer is saying, listen, there has been one sacrifice for the sins of all, for all people, for all time. Okay? But he has offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. And then he sat down at the right hand of God. Okay? So, Fill in the gap there. He died on the cross, offered a sacrifice for sins for all time. He was buried. Death couldn't hold him down. He resurrected out of the grave. And he appeared to hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people after he died. He was shown himself to be resurrected. And then in front of hundreds of people, he ascended into heaven and he is now seated at the right hand of God. What is he doing? He's working for you. He's interceding for you. He's praying for you. He's advocating for you. That's what he's doing. Right now, right here, you can go to the very throne room of God where Jesus is seated, sat down at the right hand of God, and he's working for your good. He's working for your good. All right, then he says this. What's he doing? What's he doing? He's waiting. He's waiting. Waiting for what? Waiting from that time onward until his enemies are made a footstool for his feet. What does that mean? Verse 14. For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. So in other words, he's waiting. He's waiting. He's waiting to come back again. He's going to come back again. And he's going to put all of his enemies under his foot. He's going to put them as a footrest. He's going to stomp them out once and for all. And in the meantime, while he's waiting, and while before that happens, he's sanctifying us. What does that mean? He means he's setting us apart. He's making us holy. He's making us more like his son, Jesus. That's the goal. That's the sanctification process. We talked about that a number of weeks ago. Okay? How does that work? Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also testifies to us for after saying, so the Holy Spirit is doing, that's the work of the person, of the Holy Spirit doing the work of the sanctification in us, making us more like Jesus. Verse 16. This is the covenant. This is the promise. This is the new covenant which I will make with them after those days declares the Lord. I will put my laws upon their hearts and I will write them on their minds. He then says, he then says, and then we, we pick it up in verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, verse 20 again, by a new, a new covenant, in a new living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil, that is, through his flesh. Okay? So, we are in, you and I are in a new covenant. He's working for you. He's working in you. And he's waiting to come back again. Amen? It's good news for us. Okay, so we're in this new covenant, which means we get the promises that the people in the old covenant, the Old Testament, did not have. We get the new covenant promises. You know what else is amazing? According to the Apostle Paul, we get the promises of a new covenant and we get to retain the promises of the old covenant. We get all the promises. 
Isn't that good news? And the Old Testament people are going, well, that's not fair. Well, too bad. Too bad. It'd be like me promising my kids, like promising one of my kids, you can have two Oreos. You promise, Dad? Yeah, I promise. You can have two Oreos. And then my other kid goes, well, can I have $10? Do you promise, Dad? I say, yeah, you can have $10. The kid with the two Oreos goes, well, that's not fair. I don't care. I promised you two Oreos, and I promised them $10. That's the promise. Well, that's not fair. Well, we get all the promises of all the scripture. That's the new covenant we have. That's why you should read your Bible. And you should claim, you should claim those promises that are found in all of your Bible. In all of your Bible. Okay? Then look what he says next. And since we, okay, now this is plural. We're talking plural. So you are in a new covenant. Okay, you, God is working for you. God is doing a work in you, around you, through you. God has promises for you, all of that. Claim that, claim that, claim that, right? Then he says, but since we, so it's, it's for you, but it's also for us. It's we, you can enter into the holies of holies. You can enter in the presence of God, but we all can too. And so since we have a great high priest over the house of God, over the house of God, what, what is the house of God? Well, we are the house of God, right? Peter said, here's what Peter said, that you and I are living stones, that we are living stones and he's building up. What is he building up? A spiritual house. That you are individually a stone, a living stone. You are individually a brick or a rock, but together, but together, we, he is building up a spiritual house. Here's what the Hebrew writer says prior to this in Hebrews 3, 6. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. The Hebrew writer asks, answers the question, whose house we are. He's like, we are his house. If we hold firmly to our confidence and the boast of our hope, I'll get back to that. I'll get back to that. So we are in a new covenant. We are in a new community. We are in a new community. God has brought us together to build up living stones individually to build up a spiritual house. Okay? So we are in this new community. Now, again, Hebrew writer is writing to Jews who have a hard time acclimating or accepting, or moving into their new community. Because for literally hundreds of years, and for many of them, their whole lives, they were a part of the old covenant community. The old covenant community. Those that put their faith in Jesus, okay, you have to get the context here. Those who put their faith in Jesus, many of them were removed from being able to worship in the, their synagogue, in their, where they worshiped for their whole lives, where they worshiped for over a thousand years. They were removed. They were excommunicated from their synagogues. And many of them, and you have to get this emotion. You have to find this emotion. Many of them were kicked out of their own families. Their families said no. You are, you are following, and they call, before they called it Christianity, before they were called Christians, they were called the way. The way. You know why? Because they were in a new community, and there was a different way about them. There was a different way about them. For example, for example, there was a new normal a new normal in, in, in their life. They were excommunicated from the synagogue. Many of them were removed from their household because they put their faith in Jesus. They were forming this new community and they had to find a new normal. For example, God's people worshiped together on Sunday instead of Saturday. 
So they're like, well, they won't let us worship on Saturday. It, you know, so we're going we're gonna to meet together in the temple on the first day of the week. So that was a new normal. This is normal to worship on Sunday, right? If I said we're going to worship on Saturday, you're like, well, that feels weird. That's going to feel weird for you, right? So imagine how that would feel for them. Another, another thing that was a new normal for them, God's people worshiped with symbols like baptism and communion. That's normal to us. But what they were used to was sacrifice seen animals. Remember, they would come and they would bring their offering, their animal sacrifices, but now they're no longer bringing animal sacrifices. Why? Because there was one sacrifice done on the cross by Jesus for all people and for all time. And so they were now doing, like, they were coming together like it says, for even from house to house, they were coming together and they were having baptisms to symbolize the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And they were eating supper together and they were breaking bread and they were drinking wine to symbolize the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus. Is this normal to you? You know what would be abnormal to you? If I told you to bring in your lamb or your goat or your ox. <laughs> and I have a knife up here. You're not showing up anymore. Do you see, do you feel the tension? Do you feel the tension? But this is a new normal. And it would be hard. It would be hard. Here's the other, here's the other one. God's people served and prayed for their enemies. The people that weren't, what I mean by enemies, the people that weren't like them, the people that didn't like them, the people that mistreated them, their families that removed them out of their homes, the, 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 the priests and the Levites who would not allow them to enter into the synagogue. You know what, they, you know what a, a, a Jesus follower did? Those who were a part of the way, they served them and they prayed for them instead of shaming and scoffing at them. It was a new normal a new normal. So for us, we are in this type of community. We are in this type of community. This is our community. What is normal to us was not normal to them. But what I hope to get to over the next few weeks is what could feel, what should be normal, what should be normal in our new covenant and in our new community, what should be normal will probably feel abnormal. Will probably feel challenging and difficult. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. And if you think you're not going to show up, you better hang on because I'm not done yet. Here, all right? So, transition, let us live. Let us, 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 all right? Let us live by a new and living way in our faith covenant and community. Let us live in a new... Okay, so, all right. Let's give some application to this, okay? All right, let's, let's give some application. Verse 23. Or again, we're still in Hebrews 10, 22. I'm sorry, thank you, 22. So let's, so let's, let us, right? Some versions say, let us, Okay, approach God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay, again, going back to real you, going back to true you. Jesus died for real, true you. He's not, he's not caught off guard. He's not surprised when you come to him, when you approach him. But he wants you to approach him for who you really are because that's your identity. That's who, what you, how God made you. That's who you are. So he wants you to approach him with a sincere heart and the full assurance of faith. He wants you to approach him in that way. Okay, so we should approach him with the mindset of he already knows me. 
He are, he's already aware of my shortcomings. And so I'm going to come to him and I'm going to come to him with real, sincere me. And I can claim the full assurance of the faith that I have in him and what in the finished work on the cross. Okay, so having our hearts sprinkled clean. So James says it this way. James says it this way. Come close to God and he will come close to you. Come close to God and he will draw, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And then he says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Okay, so he's saying, listen, you come to, come to God, he will come near to you. When you come to God with a sincere heart, okay, he wants you to cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded, okay? In other words, James and the Hebrew writer is saying, stop being double-minded. Stop being double-minded. James elaborates on what does it look like for somebody who's double-minded. James says this, being a double-minded man, they are unstable in all of their ways. Being a double-minded man, they are unstable in all their ways. Now, um, we just, not long ago, we purchased some um, um, paddle boards. Anybody ever paddle board before? Okay, so we have some, we have a couple uh, paddle boards and um, we've been taking them out to different lakes and things like that. And I was test, I was on a, a paddle board, you know, as a, before I purchased some and I was on a paddle board, I think uh, one of my uh, brother's uh, paddle boards that he had and I'm out there and I'm going along and I'm like pretty simple, you know, water's pretty calm, pretty, you know, no big deal. I'm like, oh, this is, this is nice. This is good. You know, I'm on this paddle board, you know, and then all of a sudden this boat, Comes, come going, like just, just cruising by me, right? Just, and now I'm like going, uh oh, uh oh. And I'm thinking, this water is no longer calm anymore. And my mindset is now different. I now have a double mind. I'm now not single mind like, okay, I, this is smooth. This is easy. This is nice. I like this. This is like, there's a peace about this. But now I'm seeing the wake coming my way. Right? I'm seeing the wake coming my way and the waves are coming my way. And I'm just now, and now they're coming towards me and I'm like on this, you know, paddleboard and I'm like, just, just hold on, just hold on. I'm like, oh, the waves, but I'm looking at the waves and now I'm thinking about the waves. I'm not thinking about, you know, staying on, you know, keeping my balance. I'm now thinking about how big these waves are and before I know it, I'm in the water. <laughs> I'm in the water. This is what it means to be unstable or, or double-minded. You are thinking about one thing, but also you're thinking about another. Your, your mind is one place, but you're also, your mind is somewhere else that where it shouldn't be. I was focused on the waves. Another example in the Bible of this is when Jesus called Peter to come out on the water without a paddleboard. Without a paddleboard. And Peter is walking on the water. And what happens, right? The winds come and the waves pick up. And, the, and, and the, all of a sudden, what is Peter is now, he should be single-minded looking at Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. And as he's looking at Jesus, he's walking on H2O. That's water. And he's walking on water and he's looking at Jesus. And the next thing you know, he's taken his eyes off of Jesus. And he's now looking at the wind pick up and he's feeling that. And he sees the waves rise and he's seeing that. And then what happens? He starts to sink. When you're a double-minded man, you're unstable in all of your ways. And he's saying to you and to me, listen, don't be like that. Don't be double-minded. Come to me with a single mind of faith, a single mind of faith. Another example is don't be, have roller coaster faith. Don't have roller coaster faith. Not too long ago, we took some teens to Cedar Point. And you know a roller coaster, you go up and down, up and down. One minute, you're like, this is great. The next minute, you're going, you're looking like this. 
One minute you're looking like this, big old smile, having a great time. Next minute you're looking like this. This is a picture of a double-minded man, right? This is a picture. This is roller coaster faith. This is, you're up one minute. God is so good. He's so faithful. Everything's working out perfectly. All that I need in life is just coming into picture and coming into place. And life is good and we're up and we're excited and we got a big old smile on our face. And then the next thing you know, we hit a big drop in this life and we're going, where are you, God? Double-minded man. Unstable. So the Hebrew writer's going, come on, let us, 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 let us together come with clean hands and a pure heart. Let's not be double-minded because when we're double-minded, we're like, on the paddleboard and we're seeing the waves come in or we're like Peter who walking on water but then we look at the waves and the wind or we're like a roller coaster of our faith. One minute we're up and the next minute we're down. It's just up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down. And he's going, no, 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 no. You just come to me with the full assurance, full assurance of your faith. Full assurance of your faith. Then he says this, verse 23. Let's hold firmly. Let us, let us hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. Same idea. Let's, like, let's not let the winds and the waves of this life toss us and wave us around and make us unstable and move us and up and down, up and down, up and down. He says, listen, you got to hold firm to the confession of our hope without wavering, without wavering. And what he's saying to, the, uh, to us is, is, is this. He's saying this, and, and Hebrew writer helps us understand what this hope is for us, okay? Look what he says. Look what he says in um, Hebrews uh, 6.19. This hope we have as an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and reliable and one which enters within the veil. Okay? He's saying, listen, this is, this is the hope. So did you know that the cross, so you can see it's not lit up right now, but the cross in the back the cross in the back, um, that wasn't a symbol of Christianity until around the fourth century. First century Christians, they never recognized the cross as their symbol. Or second or third century. It wasn't until fourth, fifth century Christians introduced by Constantine that they started to implement the cross in the symbol of Christianity. Before that, it was an anchor in fish. Before the cross was their symbol, it was an anchor and it was a fish. And it was based on that. It was based on that terminology. It was based on the fact that our hope is anchored in. Our hope is anchored in. Anchored in what? Anchored in the finished work on the cross. And, the, and beating death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's what they were, their hope was anchored in. Their hope was anchored in eternal life. Their hope was anchored in that he's coming back again. That's where their hope was anchored in. And so they would take their anchor, okay? They would take their anchor, and for a fisherman, you know what they would do as a, for a fisherman back at the time when like Peter and James and John were fishermen? They wouldn't actually go out and they wouldn't drop their anchor down below their boat. They would actually have their anchor placed somewhere like on the beach area. And they would put their anchor somewhere on in the beach area and they would anchor there and then they would go out and so that, and then they would fish just off of the beach area with their anchor. And so there would be a line, there'd be a line, okay? And so what they would do is, Miss Peggy, can you help me out for a second? Just hold this, just hold it. You can sit right there, okay? So what they would do is, is they would take, 
Okay, this is bad for, so zoom out, Kevin. Okay, they would take, this is bad, bad for the, okay. And so they would anchor it at the, on the beach. That's good, that's okay, okay. And they would anchor it to the, to the beach and then they would have a line that would come in out to the, to the boat where they were, they were at, okay? So they would have that. And so they would have this line to the beach area, to the, to the boat, okay? And so they would get them from drifting away. It would prevent them from going out too far into, into the water. So they would keep them positioned where they want to go, similar to how an anchor works, Okay? And so the, the, the analogy here is, the, the teaching that the Hebrew writer is giving us is this. He's like, I, you need to put your anchor on the hope of the finished work of the cross. And in the resurrection of Jesus. And into eternal life. You anchor that to the cross and you hold on to that. This is your hope rope. This is your hope rope. And Jesus, it says this. Look at what it says in the verse 20. It says, where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever. So what that means is, is that Jesus, because of the work on the cross, because of the resurrection, because of the hope that we can have in eternal life, he was a forerunner to us. So he left the cross, came out of the grave, ascended into heaven at the right hand of God and he dropped a rope and he dropped the rope for you and for me to grab a hold on and say listen where I am you can be with me also it's the hope rope and he's dropped that rope for you and it's up to you to decide whether you want to take on this hope. You can put your hope in something else. You can put your hope in a relationship. You can put your hope in your finances. You can put your hope in your career, but it won't be able to hold you. It won't prevent you from drifting away. You put your hope in the rope that is found in the work of Jesus. Does this make sense? This, this, he was a forerunner. He paved this way for us. For you, for you to take a hold of the rope. And for Jake, and for you and for all of us to hold on to that hope. You hold on to that hope. And you all have one. You all can have one. They're all available for you. So as you go through this life, thanks for holding my rope for a second. So as you go through this life, my hope, your hope, is in the hope of the finished work on the cross. That's for, that's for all of us. That's for all of us. So, quickly, quickly, and, and this, is, this is the end, and I just wanna transition into the next coming weeks. Here's what he says next. And let's consider let us consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds. In other words, he's given us a new command. A new command, a new command. He says, let, let us consider, let us consider how to encourage one another. Encourage in what? Well, what I just talked about. Were you not listening? Let us consider how to encourage one another to not be double-minded, to come to God. You're, you're welcome as you are, as you are, past, present, future, no matter what. You're, you're welcome. So we, we need to encourage each other that way. 
You're welcome. I don't, it doesn't matter what you've done, where you come from. What you've, you're welcome into his presence. He says, come on, come on. I want you to, I want, you're invited in, and I, and I, but don't come with a double mind. You don't need to. You come with a sincere heart. You come with a sincere heart. Real you because he died for real you. Another reason, way that we can encourage each other is by saying, hey, hold firm. Hold firm to your hope. Hold firm to your hope. Hold firm to your hope. Your hope is not in this world. Your hope is not in this world. You'll never find it in this world. Hold firm to this hope. This is a new command. This is a new command. And a new command is now a new direction. It's a new direction. It is now horizontal over vertical. It's horizontal over vertical. If you can see the cross, right, it's vertical, but it's also horizontal, right? It's not just my relationship with God. That's all that matters. My relationship with God. That's all that matters. This is me singing some worship songs in my car and, you know, listening to a podcast and, you know, get whatever. Like, it's showing up to church and filling a seat. That's, that's not what it's about. It's not just vertical. It's also one another. One another. One another. One another. It's horizontal. It's horizontal. It's horizontal. And even John would say, John would say, you can't say you love God if you don't love one another. Don't you dare say you love God if you can't love your neighbor. If you can't love your enemies and pray for them. Woo! Like, that doesn't feel normal. I know. That's where we're going. That's where we're going. So let's consider, let's consider, let's consider how to encourage one another in love and in good deeds. I love the King James Version, how it says it this way. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good deeds. You know what I want to do? And you know what we should do? We should even encourage or even provoke each other. We should provoke each other to love and to good works, to love and to good deeds. Like if you, like if you see somebody, a brother or sister, and they're like, you think they're living double-minded, you should provoke them a little bit. This is, this is what it means to be horizontal. Like, that's what it means. Here's an ESV version of it. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. We're going to stir the pot. We're going to stir the pot. Why? Because we're in a new covenant. We're in a new community. And we're given a new command. You with me? We're in a new covenant. We are in a new community. And we are given a new command, and the command is that you love one another as I have loved you. And you know what Jesus said? And by this, people will know that you are my disciples. So let's consider. Let's provoke. Let's stir the pot. Because you know what we are? We're like the ingredients and you're an ingredient, 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 and you're going to put it into the soup, and we're going to stir it up. And you might get provoked, but it's going to be for your good and for his glory. Your good and his glory. Why? Because you're in a new covenant. You our new community, and we have a new command. It's not just vertical, your faith. It's got to be horizontal, okay? And you know how that's going to work? And you know this verse. You've heard it, a preacher say it to you a hundred times. Let's not abandon our own meeting together. <laughs> as is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another as all the more as you see the day drawing near. Quickly, you know how much you should encourage somebody? 
You know how much you should encourage somebody? The Hebrew writer tells us, you know how much? Here's what he says. But encourage one another every day. As long as it's still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You know how often you should encourage somebody? Every single day. Don't say you love God if you don't love your neighbor. Don't say you love God if you don't love your enemies. Don't say you love God if you can't every single day, as long as it's still called today, encourage one another. Will that provoke some? Maybe. Will that stir it up a little bit? Maybe. But it's what we're we're to do in our new community. It's what we're to do. That's where we're going. Did you notice some things in those last few verses? Faith, hope, love. Faith, hope, love. These three. The greatest, love. Love one another. That's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do. All right. Father, what a covenant promises that we can claim. We didn't earn them, deserve them, but you have given them to us as a free gift of grace extended to us on the work of the cross. But you didn't even just allow us and open up the, the door for us to be able to enter into your presence, but you've opened up the door and you were the forerunner for us to be able to enter into eternity to be with you forever. And you ran that line and you hooked that anchor to your cross. And you ran that line to us, and Lord, and that line, that rope of hope is accessible to every single one of us. I pray, Lord, that that's the hope that we are holding on to. And so we take that new covenant and we take that new community and we follow our new command and we just simply encourage someone today and every day. As long as it's called today, we encourage, we consider, we think, we meditate, we, we, we ponder who we can't encourage because I know that I need some encouragement and I know everybody in this room could use some more encouragement. And so, Father, I just pray that that is something that we begin to do and take that simple step towards the fellowship and the community that you've called us to. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Come on back next week.